you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. And I'm honored to stand here tonight to be able to preach to you. Uh, if, is it okay if I just take my time for a moment? I just kind of want to feel after what God wants to do. I don't. I, sometimes you come to the pulpit and you know, Pastor, what God's going to do. And you know how it's going to go and you pretty much feel a, a vein. And I, I know that God has spoken to me, but I'm not really sure what God wants to do tonight. And so I'm going to promise you one thing. I'm going to feel after what God wants to do. How many want the will of the Lord tonight? If you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 22, I give honor to pastor tonight. Allowing me to be in this pulpit. I never take the uh, opportunity lightly to preach in this sacred desk and to preach to you, the church that I love so much. And uh, I give honor to all of you tonight. Thank you for making it a priority and being in the house of God. Joshua chapter 22. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 10, then we're going to skip down to verse number 26. Joshua 22, 10 says, and when they came unto the borders of Jordan, let me stop there. I was nervous as all get out this morning when pastor started preaching. I'm like, oh my goodness, he's all over. Hey, can I just be real with you tonight? Sometimes you, 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 you prepare and you, you pray and you feel that God's giving you direction and you, you study and you put a, a message together and you know that it's from God. But some, somewhere in the putting together stage and the preaching stage, the enemy begins to work on your mind and you wonder, is that... Is that really what, I, what I'm supposed to be preaching? Is that really what I'm supposed to be saying? And I came this morning and I was uh, a little weary in mind and thinking, Man, God, I, I hope I heard right. And the moment that pastor started preaching, I knew that uh, God had spoken to me and God confirmed what he had spoken into my spirit through the preaching of the word today. So I thank God for that. But the Word of God says, And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, that there in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan. And the Bible says it was a great altar to see. Skipping down to verse I said 26, I'm sorry, verse number 23. And we pick up that where the tribe said that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord or 
if to offer their own burnt offering or meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord Himself require that. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this, what they were saying is whether it be for burnt offering or meat offering or for whatever type of sacrifice that may be on that altar, let it be for God to decide. And they said, if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying in time to come your children might speak unto our children, saying, we what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For to the for the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad. Ye have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar. Now get what they're about to say. Let us prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offerings and not for sacrifice. But that may be a witness between us and you and our generation after us that we might do the service of the Lord before Him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings that your children may not say unto our children in time to come, ye have no part with the Lord. What they're saying in this scripture is that we're going to build an altar and we're not going to offer sacrifice on it. It's not, it's not has nothing to do with sacrifice, but we just want your children to know and we don't want your children to surmise uh, that we and our children don't have anything to do with the Lord. Verse number 28, Therefore, said we that it shall be when they should say to us or to our generation in time to come that we may say again, Behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings. Everybody say, not for sacrifices. But it is a witness between us and you. Verse number 29, God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings or for meat offerings or for sacrifice beside the altar of the Lord our God that is before His tabernacle. Tonight is going to put an end to something that God birthed in my spirit a couple of months ago when the word of the Lord came to me and... Uh, in the last few times that I've preached, I've tried to preach this, but God would not allow me. I tried, and I thought, this is a word from the Lord, I want to preach it. And I could not feel confirmation until this week. I feel that God had confirmed in my spirit that He wants me to speak what He had given me a couple of months ago. And so I want to talk to you on this subject, the tragedy of a bloodless altar. The tragedy of a bloodless altar. Would you put your Bibles down today? And would you one more time lift your hands? And would you ask the unction of the Holy Ghost, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, to rest in this place and to rest upon this messenger that I may speak what the Lord 
would say to the church tonight. God, I pray right now by the authority of your word and by the power that is in the name of Jesus that a special anointing would rest upon me, God, to to preach what you have laid on my heart. God, I feel confirmation in the Holy Ghost tonight. God, do what you want to do in this place. God, I come against every distraction. God, I come against every spirit, God, that would cause a hindrance to the moving of the Holy Ghost. God, I lose your power and your authority in this place, God. Speak to our hearts. Let our ears hear and our hearts receive. And give us understanding in the spirit tonight of what you are saying to your church. And we give you all praise and all glory. In the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. Now would you give God one more mighty hand clap of praise tonight. God bless you. You may be seated. Tonight I want to start by saying that no matter what background they may come from. Or no matter what their pedigree may be, or no matter their level of education or their lack thereof, mankind is incurably religious. You may travel to a third world country and you may find a tribe somewhere in the deepest part of a jungle in the most remote third third world country that exists and they may be without clothing and they may lack a they may lack in good hygiene practices how many are glad that nobody here does we're sitting a little too close for that they may lack good social skills or they may lack good people skills they may be limited in their language skills and have limited weapons with which to fight but they will have a God of some kind. You see, the heart of mankind, whether it's a man or a woman, I'm speaking of all mankind, the heart of mankind makes it absolutely essential that they have a God. Though they may never attend a church service, or they may never darken the door of a great edifice that we worship God in. Maybe they they may never come and worship with us in person. They may have never read a Bible. Though he may be uninformed and untaught and may not possess any knowledge of God whatsoever, man is a good God maker. Eternity has been set in the heart of every man and every woman along with the knowledge that life is temporal that that they 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 understand this knowledge that life is temporal that makes him and that makes him seek something outside of himself that gives him some kind of hope for the future but the lie but there lies a problem within the heart of every man And it lies in the heart of every woman and it lies in the heart of every child. And that is that he is a fallen creature. He possesses a carnal mind and his heart, the Bible says, is wicked continually and sin rules and reigns in his nature. 
Thus man is placed in a great conflict, being uh, incurably religious at the same time man is incurably sinful. Sad to say, but mainstream Christianity has built massive uh, congregations and massive buildings in which they worship and thousands gather week in and week out to hear a motivational speech, if I could say that tonight. And they gather week after week, month after month, year after year, in hopes of somebody telling them something that will make them feel good and make them feel comfortable with the life that they lead. But mainstream Christianity has built churches that uh, have thousands in their membership by offering an easy religion that allows people to be religious on a Sunday and worldly on Monday through Saturday. They can have, they can't, though, rather have the best of two worlds. I want to stop here and pause for a minute and preach to this congregation that godliness and worldliness cannot coexist. You can be godly, and you can be holy, or you can be worldly, and you can be unholy. But you cannot have godliness and worldliness. You cannot have it both ways. You, it will cost you one or the other. You cannot serve two masters because you will either hate the one and love the other, or love the other and hate the other one. But Joshua said it like this, choose you this day who that you are going to serve but as for me come on I wish I had somebody that believed that tonight but as for me and my house we will choose to serve the Lord I want to tell you tonight you cannot have it both ways you can't have your cake and you can't eat it too but you got to choose this day who you're going to serve you got to choose this day that I'm going to be holy and righteous and I'm going to forsake I wish I had strength in my body right now to preach like I feel. The Bible tells us that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad have very much cattle. And when they came into the land of Gilead, behold, it was a place for cattle. And they said, if you don't mind, guys, if you don't mind, we're going to just stay on this side of Jordan. I know you're going to cross over and... There's going to be a time when you're going to go over and you're going to possess the promise that God had given you. But we choose to stay on this side of Jordan because it's good for our cattle. It's good for our possessions. And we're comfortable. We're comfortable with life here on this side of Jordan. They said we don't want to conform to the will of God and what God has for us. But we would rather... Adopt, adapt rather the promise of God to us. We would rather just have it like we want it to be. We would rather have the land that is adaptable to us. We don't want to change our present lifestyle. It sounds like so many that attend our churches right now, but we don't want to, we don't want to forsake our lifestyle. We don't want to change our way of living. We, we want to stay here in a place that is conducive to the way that we've always lived. I said we don't want to adapt to the promise, but rather we want the promise to adapt to us. 
We want to have our cake and we want to eat it too. Let me pause here for a moment and tell Christian Life Church that is a very dangerous place to find ourselves. When we know that God has given us a promise and we know that God wants to lead us to something new and something better. And we know that God wants to give us a greater anointing. He wants to be in greater relationship with us. But when we are too comfortable with the life that we live now and when we are too comfortable with our flesh and we're too comfortable with the sinful life that we live, that we would look at God and say, I don't want to move from the place that I'm at. I know that you have greater things for me. I know that you want to do great things with me. I know that you want to unlock the doors of ministry in my life. But I would rather stay in the place that I am than I, than I would to walk through the door and let your blessings be upon a, on my life. I want to warn you, sir. I want to warn you, ma'am. Don't treat the promises of God with, with just a, a, a flippant mentality that says there'll be another opportunity somewhere down the line. But let me tell you that you need to stand up no matter how uncomfortable it may be or no matter how much it may cost you. And say, God, whatever it is that you have for my life, whatever your will is for my life, whatever the promise that you have for my life, God, I want to follow you. You see, these tribes had made the journey along with the Israelites. and They'd wondered, and now they find themselves at the brink of the promise. They find themselves at the border of the promise of God. The danger is that they became comfortable with the wilderness. They became comfortable with their lifestyle. They became comfortable and complacent with things just as they've always been. And don't bother me, preacher. Don't don't ask me to step out of my comfort zone. Don't ask me to go any farther than I I really feel like that I need to. Don't 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 challenge me. Don't 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 call me to a deeper level. Don't don't call me to a deeper sacrifice. Don't call me to a place that is out of my comfort zone. So they were relegated to the borders of the promised land all because they didn't want to put away their sinful lifestyle and they didn't want to change the way that they were. They didn't want to change their mindset. Let me tell you tonight, there's a danger in being comfortable where you're at. There's a danger when we when we have lived in sin so long that we identify with it. And that's the way it's always been. And I'm just comfortable living my life the way that I am. But we got to stand up at some point and we need to put our big boy pants on and we say, I no longer and I'm complacent with living this life that I've been living the will I've been here too long, but God, I'm willing and I'm ready. What a tragedy. What a, what a terrible place to find yourself when you say, I'd rather, I'd rather be in the wilderness. I'd rather just get up every day and follow the cloud and 
than follow the fire at night. I'd rather just get up in the morning and see which way the wind's blowing and which way the cloud's moving and just get my stuff together and walk and then make camp that night and go ahead and just gather around the campfire with my family as we, as we rest waiting for the next day's journey. But God is calling us to a place. God is calling us to a deeper level of sacrifice tonight. And I'm getting ready to get there, but I feel like I need to be here right now. God is calling Christian Life Church to a deeper level of commitment and consecration. And it's not always going to be like it's always been. Pastor talked about that tonight. We build memorials to remember where God brought us from and what He had done in our life, and we must do that. But there's got to come a time and a place where we can't live on yesterday's blessing, and we can't We can't live on just the way that it's always used to be. I can't live on the stories that mom and dad told me or grandma and grandpa told me. But there's got to be a time where i got to experience something for myself. There's got to be a time where mom and dad's sacrifice won't do anything for me. But i got to offer a deeper sacrifice to the Lord for myself. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. See, they chose the best of the wilderness world and they chose to live at the border of a promise. Let's talk about Reuben. Let's talk about Gad. We look in Genesis chapter 49 and we read about Reuben. He was the firstborn of Jacob. And in verse number 3 of Genesis 49, we read, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might. And the beginning of my, this is Jacob saying, he said, you're, the, you're my might and you're the beginning of my strength. The excellency uh, of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable though as water. He just got through puffing him up and telling him you are all these things that are great. But there's one thing about you, Reuben, one thing that I don't really like. There's one thing, one area of your life that you lack, and that is you are as unstable as water. He said, thou shalt not excel, because thou went up to, my, to thy father's bed, then defiled thou it. And he went up to my couch. Reuben is the firstborn of Jacob. He is of great stature. He's tall. He's broad-shouldered. He's got all the right genetics. He is supposed to be the priest of the household. He's going to be the uh, intercessor between his home and God. He's going to, to, to get a double portion of everything that his father has. He said, you possess all these qualities, but there's one thing that you lack because you are as weak as water. He said, you will never excel. You will never amount to anything because you're as weak as water. You see, what we must understand about water is that water conforms to its container. He said, you all... You're, you're big, strong, you're tall, dark, and handsome. You've got everything that you need to succeed. But you're weak. Why are you weak? Because you conform to everybody else around you. 
You change with every wind of doctrine. There's nothing that you stand for on your own. You're, you're with this person one minute, and you're with this person the next minute. And then the minute after that, you're with this person, and you're talking about the other two. He said you conform to anybody that you're around. Because of that, you're just as, wa- as water that is poured into a container. Whether it's round, it takes on the shape of a container. If it's a square vase, then it takes on the shape of a square vase. Whatever water is poured into, that is the shape that it identifies with. He said, water, Reuben, does not have a will. Water has no backbone and it has no strength. Water always runs down. And puddles at the lowest point. God, I feel feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Reuben takes the path of least resistance. He said, you always run downhill. But there's one thing about you. You never go uphill. You just go along with whatever life brings. You're weak and you'll never amount to anything. Because you always conform to your surroundings. Now let's look at Gad. Also in Genesis chapter 49, verse 19. The Bible says that Gad, a troop, shall overcome him, that he shall overcome at last. So let's take a look at Gad. Gad is an an overcomer. You knock Gad down, and he's getting back up again. You better not turn your back on Gad because if he gets if he's got breath left in his body then he's coming after you. If you never if you ever get him down then you had better kill him while he's down because Gad has tenacity and he has a strong will. His name simply means to be able or to have power and ability and it simply means I can do. Everybody shout that. I can do. I stand in this pulpit tonight and I preach to this church that I I respect and I love so much and I say that I wish that I had a gad that would arise in the sanctuary tonight and say I might be down right now but I'm not staying down because I'm getting back up. Enemy, you should have killed me when you had the chance because I'm coming to kill you. Anybody in the building tonight just sick and tired of the enemy always knocking you down? He's trying to get you down, and he's trying to convince you to stay down. But if you can ever get a gad spirit in your soul, you'll get back up every time the enemy comes against you, and you'll look him in the face and say, you better take me out because I'm coming to kill you, and I'm going to take everything. You took from me. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. The Gadites were mighty and fit for battle. They were built for battle. They were built for war. They weren't scared in the face of adversity. And in the face of the enemy, they never wavered and they never 
turned their backs to retreat. The Gadites were the son of, sons of Gad, and they were the captain of the host. So I asked a question tonight, and I asked it in my study, and when I read this scripture, how did the weakest of the weak and the strongest of the strong ever link up? Usually it's birds of a feather. So how did the weak and the strong link up? How did two tribes that had nothing in common, obviously, and were nothing alike ever yoke themselves together? And so I began to study and I found out that when the tabernacle was carried on the shoulders of men and they would stop and they would set up the temple that the 12 tribes of Israel would be divided into groups of three and they would camp together. There would be three to the north and for the brand, there would be three to the south, three to the east, and three to the west. And as you study, the Reubenites and the Gadites camped together. I want to pause and tell you that you will be tomorrow who your friends are today. You may not be anything like them. I, I get a kick and we tell a story and some of you know and some of you don't know. But my grandfather, when he was alive, he had a friend, a dear friend, Brother Ball. Now, you all are already laughing. You know where I'm going with this. They were the best of friends. But my God, they fought like cats and dogs. Every time, every time they got together, they weren't together for five minutes until they were fighting. And I'm not talking about just disagreeing, being sarcastic to one another, like you're an idiot kind of fighting. And Grandpa would, would come home and he'd be like, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he did that. But the funny thing about it was that the next time that he saw him. They were best friends again. Listen to me. You may not have anything in common with them. You may not have their ideals. You may not think like they think. You may not agree with anything that they do or they say. Or they stand for. But if you continue to camp. If you continue to befriend. And you continue to spend all your time together. And you say, well, I'll never be like him because I don't agree with anything. It will be just a, a few, uh, few short months or a few short days down the line that you begin to say, well, I, I understand what you say. I, I understand your thought process. I, I understand what the way that you think. That does make sense to me. And before you know it, that person that you were never anything alike and that person that you never agreed with today, tomorrow, you identify with them because you have linked up and you have camped together. That's free, by the way. 
for 40 years. 40 years. These two tribes sit around a campfire together. And at the end of 40 years, the Gadites became just like the Reubenites. The people who were most able to take Canaan's land did not even cross over. After camping around with the Reubenites for 40 years, they lost their zeal and they lost their power. They lost their ability to battle and go to war. They became as weak as water and they never did excel. If you align yourself with the wrong kind of people, it won't be very long until you become exactly like them. I don't care how powerful you are in God right now or how much you talk in tongues or how many hours you spend in prayer every day. Gadites don't bring up Reubenites. The, the strong never brings up the weak, but rather it's the weak that brings down the strong. I don't care how strong you think you are, but you're only as strong as the people that you associate with. It wasn't the stronger bringing the weak up to their level. But it was the weak bringing the strong down to their level. Let me get to where I'm going here. They decided that they didn't want to cross over. As they watched the ark cross, it dawns on them in Scripture that they were going to someday have kids of their own. And even though they knew who they were, even though they knew their identity, that their children one day would not know who they were. The kids on the other side are going to yell at our kids. They said, you aren't Israelites. You don't love God. We don't ever see you around the temple. We don't see you in church. One generation will eventually say to another, you're not even of God. We never see you over here around the things of God. So they said, we're going to build ourselves an altar. And it's just going to be an altar to see. They said, we will never offer a sacrifice on it. Pay attention. They said, we'll never. We're never going to shed blood on the altar. This altar is going to be a great edifice for everyone to see because we want everybody to think. We want everybody to think that we sacrifice. We want everybody to look at a distance and say, My Lord, look at the size of that altar. But don't get too close because you're never going to see a blood stain. Don't get too close to me. I, I want you to, I want, it's, it's, it's Feb, January and February when I want you to think that I'm fasting. But, I, but don't go to eat with me after church because I don't want you to know. 
Come on, it's getting real up in here. Don't get too close to me. It's a beautiful altar. It's gorgeous. I'll be able to tell my kids about it someday. They're going to look at it. But I'm not going to let them ever realize that there is not a single blood stain on it. Because in all reality, it's just a bloodless altar. And a bloodless altar is just a memorial. It's just a, it's just a, a talking point, or it's just a, a place that, that we remember of, we remember how things used to be. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna erect it right here. I'm all, I'm almost in the promise. I'm almost there. I'm real close, and everybody, I think I got everybody full. I think everybody. On the other side is looking over and say, "Well, they're doing great things. They're really, they're really stepping out in their sacrifice." But don't come over the this side of Jordan. Don't look too closely at my altar. He said, "We're going to build an altar, but we're not going to sacrifice on it. There'll never be a lamb slain on my altar. Never going to be in burnt offering." I'm never going to apply the blood to my altar because it's just going to be a... The only reason that I'm constructing it is that so one day I can tell my kids. I know what they say. I know what they say. I know how they feel about us. But look at our altar. We got an altar. They got an altar, but we got an altar too. They got, a, they got a, an altar that's all disgusting and, 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 and covered with coagulated blood and it's dirty and you don't want to touch it. But you can come over here to our altar because it's pretty. Look at it. It shines. It looks like theirs from a distance. They said, we're going to build this altar. Because we want our kids to be able to say that I'm just like you. I want anybody able to say that I'm not godly. So I wear my long dresses. I don't cut my hair. I come to church every Wednesday, every Sunday. I'm there when the doors are open for revival. The awakening comes and we have an evangelist. I'm there every night. I look the part. I worship. I hadn't worshiped worship all year long, but I worship then because I don't want anybody to figure me out. I'm not getting in anybody's case. I'm just talking to you tonight. I'm going to come and I'm going to put on my best suit. I'm going to put on my best tie. I'm going to wear my best dress. I'm going to put my hair up just right because I want everybody to think. But I'm just like them. They decided that they didn't want to cross over, so they built this altar. I'm so moved by the Holy Ghost tonight. I wish you could feel what I feel in my heart tonight. I wish you could understand. I wish you could understand what I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight. We've, the problem is, is that we've got a lot of altars being erected. There's a lot of altars among us, and there are a lot of things. We got, we got it looking just right. We got ourselves polished up. We're just right. And I got my shoes all shined, and I got my tie tied just right, and I, I got my hair done just right. 
But I've actually just erected a bloodless altar because don't ask me, don't ask me to sacrifice, Pastor. Don't ask me to teach a Bible study. Brother Spencer, don't ask me to do outreach in Lebanon. Brother Isaac, Brother David, Brother Sanchez, don't ask me to, don't ask me to do outreach in Lafayette. That's not really what I want to do. But I want to come in on a Sunday and I want to shout with everybody else. I want everybody else to think that everything on the inside is just right. I don't, I don't spend time in prayer at my altar. I've constructed it for everybody else to see, but I don't really use it much. I, I, don't, I don't really have much of a prayer life. I don't ever fast. I, I don't ever push the plate back. But I want everybody to think because I got my tie on. got my shoes shined. I want everybody to think that everything on the inside is just right. I feel a heaviness in the Holy Ghost. I want you to lift your hands right now in this place. Come on, lift your hands in this place. Build our altar, and our altar is going to be for everybody to see. We'll never offer a sacrifice. We will never see fire nor have blood shed upon it. An altar to be seen, but not to be used. They thought that a bloodless altar would be able to save another generation. You think, sir, you think, man, that you can live a life that is just that just has an outward appearance but it has no content and that will save the next generation if you think that you better think again if all we are doing is building bloodless altars as a memorial to what used to be if we're just telling our kids how it used to be if we just tell our kids about the miracles that used to take we just tell our kids, I remember, I remember when it used to be like that. I remember when I used to worship. I remember when I used to run the aisles. I remember when I used to be a leader in the congregation. And when nobody else was worshiping, I came out of my seat and I began to lead and worship. And we tell them the way that I used to be. But if they never see the blood applied to my altar... If they never see dad kneel at a bloodstained altar. If my son, if I never take him by the hand, and I never tell him, hey bud, let me tell you what it used to be like. 
Give honor to the past. Give honor to those that paved the way. Give honor. Thankful for what God has done. But I don't want to just teach him what used to be. I don't want to tell him that we used to sacrifice, Satan. We used to offer a sacrifice that would cost us and it would be painful because it was a true sacrifice. But moms and dads, hear me tonight. If your children... Well, let me speak to the grandmas and grandpas. If your grandchildren never see you sacrifice, if all that you're doing is building a bloodless memorial and those kids and that family never see you sacrifice, they never see you fast, they never see you pray, you never gather them at night or sometime during the day to pray and to seek the face of God, then all you're doing is building a bloodless, powerless, Altar. I'm hurrying tonight. But you better examine yourself, and I'm speaking first to this guy standing right here. We better examine ourselves because just like the Reubenites and the Gadites, Sometimes we lose our hunger for milk and honey. We will never entertain worship or entertain heaven with our worship. And we will never, our worship and our praise will never be a sweet savor in the nostrils of God. There will never be any sins covered on the bloodless altar. There'll never be remission of sin without the blood being applied to the altar. But there must be something that connects us with God. I'm gonna talk about I'm gonna talk about two simple points right now and then I'm closing and I'll be done. But there are memorial altars, and Pastor talked about it today, and I thank God for it. They tell us a story, and they remind us of what God has done and the work that God has performed. At various times in the Old Testament, God's people set up a simple altar of remembrance to a place, or at a place rather, where God performed a miracle, or at a place where God rescued his people or at a place where God taught them an important lesson. And these altars of remembrance are constructed of simple local stones. And they would serve to remind future generations of God's past faithfulness in order to give them strength to continue trusting the Lord in their present trials. Thank God for memorials. I thank God for memorials that have been constructed 
We see various accounts in the Old Testament in Genesis 28. God promised that he would always be with Jacob. And the Bible says, and Jacob took the stones he used for a a pillow, and he built an altar in the pillar. Exodus 33, God rescued Jacob from Esau. And the Bible says that Esau erected an altar. Exodus chapter 17, God defeated the Amalekites. And the Word of God tells us that Moses built an altar. Exodus 24, God gave the Ten Commandments. And the Word of God tells us that Moses rose up early in the morning. And he built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And we read in Joshua chapter 4 that God dried up the Jordan. And it came to pass that when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, and the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every man, out of every tribe a man, And command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm. Take twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge that night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Take you up every man, every one of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you that when your children, when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, What meaneth these stones? Then you shall answer them that there was a day. There was a time when the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And it passed over Jordan. And the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. erected some memorials in my life. There are some things that we talk about in our home. There are some things that we tell our kids. I know you don't remember this. And I've shared the story countless times. We built a memorial to when the time that we felt that God healed our son. And we talk about it, and we say, Aiden, I know that you don't remember. I know you don't know anything about it, and I know that you hear mom and dad cry and whine about it a lot. But Aiden, there was a time when we didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know what our future would hold, and we didn't know what the outcome would be. But Aiden, we went to an altar one day, We constructed an altar, and here it is. And the reason that we constructed this altar 
Because there was a time, bud, when God healed you. There was a time when it didn't look good for us. There was a time when we didn't know what we were going to do. And we come to church service after service. And we worship the best that we could when we were dying inside. And Aiden Brantley. built this memorial here to show you the faithfulness of God. That God's a healer. It's quiet in here tonight. That God's a deliverer. God is a provider. And God works in the middle of your darkest hour. When you think that it's about to engulf you and it's about to take your life and you feel like the the darkness all around you is cutting the very breath off in your body and you think that just any minute life is going to be over, that's when God comes in on the scene and he begins to work and he turns your situation over our lives when we remember what God has done and where he has brought us from. Although we do these things, there's a danger. There's a tragedy. Living on past experiences. I stand here tonight and I tell this congregation with all the passion I can possibly tell you that it's time that we take that altar such a beautiful edifice polished just right constructed just right time that we take that altar we take our families, take our children, take our grandchildren and we tell them God did it then God did it God healed me God made a way for me but we take that altar that we built to that past experience We take Isaac by the hand and say, come on, boy, come on, son, come on, daughter, come on, spouse. We're going to walk up that mountain and we're going to take that altar and we're going to shed some blood on it. Because it's what God requires of us. You see, a bloodless altar doesn't affect God. A bloodless altar has no power. Looks good. There's a good story behind it. It's a great story behind it. 
But there's no life-giving blood upon the altar. See, blood is never an item of antiquity. Blood is never an item that is to be spoke of in past tense, and it's not something that we just build a museum to. Heaven has no museum display for the sacrificed blood that's been on the altar, but the blood is an active entity. Life is in the blood. That is present tense, but it's never past tense. It never is. Life used to be in the blood, or life once was in the blood, but it is no longer. But my Bible tells me that life is in the blood. There is no power. There is no life. There is no healing. There is no salvation in a bloodless altar. But we need sacrificial altars with their cost and with their pain, with their filth. with their blood because it's in the blood that's applied on that altar that we find life you see where there is no blood there is no life I'm not a doctor I'm not a nurse. But I know that if I cut myself and I bleed out, I'm going to die. And I know that just the same in my walk with God, that if I remove the blood, God help me tonight. If the blood is never applied to my life. If I never come in contact with the blood of Jesus. If I don't go to that altar pastor every once in a while and I don't reapply the blood, then I'm going to die spiritually. Leviticus 17 tells us for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves. What? On the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And when you look at sacrifice as simply an offering up of something precious for a cause or a reason, and, and making atonement is 
satisfying someone or something for an offense committed, then we can read Leviticus 17 11 again, but we can read it more clearly. And we can actually read it like this. I have given you the creature's life, which is in the blood, to make atonement for yourselves, covering the offense you have committed against me. In other words, those who are covered by the blood sacrifice are set free from the consequences of sin. Though the Israelites didn't catch the revelation of Jesus, they did, however, believe that God would send a Savior. The blood sacrifices seen all throughout the Old Testament were foreshadowing the greatest sacrifice that would come. That, that sacrifice would bring hope to hopeless humanity. The shedding of Jesus' blood on an old rugged cross. The spotless lamb was the ultimate substitutionary act that could have ever taken place. His blood wouldn't just push back sin like in the Old Testament for a time. But His blood would and still does remove sins, shame, and guilt from our lives. Church, sir, ma'am, young person, we need the blood of Jesus applied to our lives. Stand with me tonight. Hebrews 9 tells us that the Old Testament blood sacrifices were temporary and they only atoned partially for sin and only for a short time. This is why yearly sacrifices were needed. That's why they would go to the altar and that's why they would apply the blood of that spotless lamb on an altar. But hear me, when Jesus entered the most holy place, He did so to offer His own blood to atone once and for all. This is what Jesus was saying in John 19 when He cried on the cross, It is finished. What he was saying that never again would the blood of bulls and goats cleanse men from their sin. But it was the blood of Jesus that was shed on an old rugged cross that would be the payment for your sin and for my sin. died spiritually. In the garden, when they ate of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, they died spiritually. They were cut off from God. Their, their communion with God was severed at the point that sin entered their life. Sin is so awful and it's so defiant towards God that the only 
action that he could take was to give the sinner the terrible death sentence. The only possible solution to certain death is that someone needed to give their life in place of the guilty. Blood not only is a symbol of life, but blood is life. The only thing that carries and sustains life is the blood. That's why we sing songs like, What can wash away my sins? Nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I stand here closing tonight, and I tell you that life is in the blood of Jesus. If you have not had the blood of Jesus applied to your life, tonight's a good night. Mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa, if you have not applied the blood to your altar in quite some time, tonight is the night to get the blood back on the altar. It would be a trap. To stand before God one day with a bloodless altar. So I open these altars tonight in my appeal first is to the one that has never had the blood applied to your life. Maybe you haven't received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Maybe you haven't gone down in water baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sin. But I want to tell you tonight that you must be born again. You must be born of water and of spirit. And you've got to have the blood of Jesus applied to your life. And my second appeal tonight is to the one that maybe you haven't. You haven't applied the blood to that altar in some time. Maybe you've let it, you've let it just get uh, nice and polished, and it's just a, an edifice that you have built so that others could see and, and, and look at your altar. Look how nice it is. My appeal is to you tonight. And maybe, I, maybe I'll make a third appeal to this church that would once again just gather at an old-fashioned altar and we would lift our hands and say, God, I need your blood applied to my life tonight. God, it's been a while. I can't live on yesterday's blessing. I can't just construct a memorial. But God, I've got to have a blood-stained altar where I can show my family. This is where God meets us. And this is where God does his work. I open the altars tonight and I ask you to come. If I've appealed to you tonight, I ask you to come. Let's spend some time in prayer and let's ask God, God, would you pour it out upon me tonight? God, would you pour that blood on my altar tonight?